Hey guys, my name is Quinn Cully and this is True Product, a show that dives into the weeds of real projects with PMs from around the world. Our guest today is Scott Holland, a senior PM from Policy Genius, who focuses on growth for their life insurance arm of their marketplace. As usual, we'll cover a bit about the company, their team structure, how they define objectives and prioritize, and finally, we'll dive into a recent project. Specifically, how Scott's team built a life insurance quote calculator to instill confidence in users at the very top of their funnel. Some of the highlights from today's chat are, one, how to test an MVP through nothing but a conversation, the importance of real user data during testing, and the value of sourcing ideas from every team member as early as possible. As always, if you have any feedback, please find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at True Product Podcast. Thanks, enjoy. Scott, thanks for uh, coming on. Um, let's start with uh, your name, who you are, who you work for. Cool. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm a product manager here at Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online marketplace for insurance. I am responsible on our life insurance growth team. Uh, so everything consumer facing on the life insurance side is what my team's responsible for. Nice. Very cool. Um, how did you come to be a PM? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, I started my career in tech consulting. Uh, the way I like to tell it now that I reflect back on it is like, it's like a waterfall environment. You're just, you know, gathering requirements from a client. It's a much more structured and rigid environment, but you're doing all, a lot of the things that a product manager does. You know, you're like working closely with engineering and design, you're building a product for customers, you're taking feedback, iterating, testing stuff, all the, all the, all the good stuff. Um, were you usually building new products for clients or? It like was like maintaining an existing. Really? We were like the tech, we were the tech arm of the Department of Education. Oh, so really? like okay. think like studentloans.gov. Wow. That was our bread and butter. Wow, I love uh, that. Very cool. Um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, thinking I wanted to go to business school to get into finance. Fell in love with entrepreneurship, started my own company, uh, and the thing that I loved to do the most was talk to customers, build products, learn about like their problems, and solve them with tech. Uh, and that was kind of how I got into it. Nice. Uh, so you started that company. Uh, when was that? And then how, how did you get from there to here? So I've been at Policy Genius now for f almost four years. Yeah. Startup life. It's yeah, an eternity, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, so we started that company three years before that. So it's been like seven, almost seven years now, which is crazy to think about. Um, and yeah, while I was in business school, paired up with a buddy of mine. Uh, he was doing a lot of campus recruiting for PwC yeah. saw a problem with how they were like managing that process. Cool. You ever been to like a job fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how manual like teams and recruiters keep track of candidates. Yeah. We built a think like mobile app CRM on top of an applicant tracking system oh, cool. that helps recruiters and teams keep track of all the students that they engage with. Nice. 
uh, and calculate their like ROI over time. Very cool. Yeah. Um, jumping back to Polygenus, what does the uh, team structure look like? I guess you said there are a few different product teams and then yeah. individually within your pod, what does that look like? Yeah, so broadly speaking, uh, we have an operations team which makes up a lot of our business. So I said we're an insurance marketplace, but we actually do all of the fulfillment in-house. So mm-hmm. instead of like, like typical lead gen sites, they may punt you over to someone else, yep. we do all that in-house. Nice. So a lot of our team is like sales and operations, yep. but on the product side, uh, we have five or six product teams, uh, mostly split into growth and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Uh, growth being more consumer facing, fulfillment being like in-house and tools supporting our operations teams. Yep. Um, life is, Life insurance biggest product vertical for us, nice. and that's where I sit. And my team is composed of four engineers, product dedicated product designer, product marketer, and myself. Very cool. Um, what does uh, planning and prioritization look like for you guys as it relates to either yearly planning, quarterly planning, monthly planning, and then how you kind of ideate and prioritize? Yeah. So as you've got you and I have talked about, this has changed a lot over my time. Uh, here, the most recent round, it's like very timely because we just went through our 2020 planning process. I don't know if you're familiar with the W framework. I don't think so. Remind me. Uh, Lenny Rachitsky, who's like a growth, like very early at Airbnb. He yeah. writes a lot of good content about this type of stuff. Very so it's cool. just like the way in which information is like, I'm going to mess this up. It's like... Uh, the balance between like the teams and like how leadership and yep. how they go through the planning process. Yep. So we've followed that framework, but in reality it's like a lot of the leads across teams and leadership here yep. getting in a room and like breaking down the line of business, right? So like yep. we have objectives as a business, where do the opportunity and like those key results against them, yep. where do the opportunities exist for us to drive the most value? may not be like a consumer problem it's just yeah. like an opportunity space that exists and like what are the kind of like insights both qualitative and quantitative that yeah. support those nice. could be things like re-engagement you know consumers like feel the need to like comparison shop yeah. across different sites like whatever it is um, that's where it starts so and that's a yearly thing yeah and or at least it yep. is newly, and the way we are trying to set it up is, you know, you set the roadmap for the year with, like, high degree of certainty in Q1, and, yeah, like, yeah. it... Open-ended. Um, and then each quarter, we reevaluate things. So instead cool. of, like, picking up, which is kind of what we used to do, is yeah. we'd end the quarter, we'd end the four-month cycle, and we'd start the planning process all over again... Yeah. It's just a gut check. Like, yeah. are we still focusing on the right things? When we think about priority two, three, and four, yeah. is that worth tackling now, or do we just continue down? Yeah. Where we're focused do you have on? a good example of something? Maybe either it is the one you guys use right now, or it's a, I don't know a parallel one of like this is a metric or a objective or problem that we're going after. Yeah. So the one that my team is looking at now is what we're calling like price product fit is like do we offer the best like product and price options because we know that like when consumers comparison shop like price is something they're super conscious of like can they find a deal somewhere do we also offer like the right suite of products when it comes to life insurance um and that's like a very meaty problem 
Yeah. And when what we've learned through optimizing our product over the years is like comes a point where you see like diminishing returns with like one size fits all solutions. Yeah. So are there slices of our users or segments that have like where the pain is like strongest? Yeah. And so we've decided to look at or we may look at like an older demographic or like lower income earners or yeah. you name it. Um, so those are the that's where like my team is focusing right now. Very cool. And that ultimately feeds into like maybe more of the nitty gritty product yeah. process. And then when you, um, obviously this has just changed everything, but when you have an individual project that you say like, hey, I'm gonna work on this or our team's gonna work on this, do you have a normal kind of cadence or template or anything that you say like, oh, this is the normal flow a project will go through? Yeah, um, so again, that has also changed. Yeah, but yeah. I think the process we follow now, and we take a lot of uh, input from like Marty Kagan's inspired book, nice. but complemented with a bunch of things as we take like a double diamond approach so we go very deep on problem discovery so we may know that you know let's take the price product fit issue right like lower income earners may more often than not report that like they can't find prices within their budget let's say but like what's the problem can they not like find the prices Do, can they not actually afford life insurance? Yeah. Like you got to unpack that and like get down to like what is the problem that's worth solving for these consumers. Yeah. And that's where we go like divergent on problem discovery. You do things like user interviews, yeah. surveys, you name it, whatever to like validate what the problem is. Nice. Converge on like what those key problems are. Yeah. Like that's kind of the what and the why you yeah. want to solve. And then we do like solution discovery, yeah. which is prototyping, putting some sort of stim in front of users to see if like they're getting value out of whatever we're providing them with and if that's solving the problem. And that's typically how we go about like our called discovery process. And then from there that goes to delivery and we ship things, we'll do like A-B testing and all that. Very cool. Yeah, that's one one of my favorite things on most projects is like, and one of my favorite frameworks is like the Toyota 5 whys of just like continually asking why of like oh someone's doing this why why yeah why? and you'll get to that root problem that actually needs to be addressed 100 percent um nice uh okay so let's dive into a specific project that you've worked on recently um what do you got for us cool uh so thing that comes to mind is something we did towards the end of last year uh we built uh series of like widgets or acquisition hooks for our partners and our content team to use to like solve a problem for consumers and help drive them into our funnel. Two of of them specifically. Uh, One was uh, helping users understand like how much coverage they need and like what product is right for them. The other one was giving them a preview of like how much it's going to cost them. Those are two like very big questions that consumers have when they start this journey into life insurance is yeah. like, realistically, like how much is this gonna cost me? Yeah. Um, or how much can I afford? And yeah. then the other one is, I think this coverage seems right, yeah. but like what goes into this and why? That makes sense. So from the beginning, let's start at the beginning, what was the problem, I guess, that came about? And like, and if there was a different uh, prioritization framework, how did this one come about that's like, eh, this is what we should focus on? Yeah, so similar to the way we're kind of approaching things now is like we have this overarching problem or insight and then we were like 
breaking down into user segments. We yeah. did the same exercise actually like middle of last year. Cool. Where we we tried to find pockets of users where either performed like well or didn't perform well yep. and tried to go deep and understand like why. Very cool. We have some info on our on our in our experience that asks users like how they want to shop for insurance, which yeah. is like, do you want what we call like more support versus less? Yeah. And we found that like consumers that picked more support actually converted like higher. Yeah. But like the why, we didn't really know. Interesting. And so we spent some time trying to understand like what were those big things that they needed help with. Yeah. And this is where we learned like some of the big questions they have are like, what product is right for me when you think about whole life versus term yeah, yeah. insurance or like how much coverage do I need or how much is this going to cost me like those are the big like incoming questions that they had or things they needed help with and so we figured if that's what these consumers have questions with that are in yeah. our funnel like there's a greater opportunity out there outside and was this from like all right we like before this we had on our site more support less support people picked more support would end up talking to our operation people and we learned from the conversations they were having. Is that how it worked? We we took the research on ourselves. So it's more we got the insight from the data that said this is the split of consumers picking more versus less, uh, and this is how the they convert. Yeah. And then you did you? And then what happened? It was like an interesting insight, yeah, but yeah. like we didn't necessarily understand why. So that was a startup project. Yeah. It's like go figure out why. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Exactly. It's like, is there something more here? Like, do we need to get more people to pick this option, yeah, or yeah, like yeah. solve for that need, or? is there a better job that we can even do with this segment of users that it's like self-identifying yeah. that they need help and doing better for us? Yeah. Um, there's a lot more we thought that we could learn. Nice. Okay, so it's the start of the project. We have the, we have the insight, I guess, you're yeah. starting off from, and now what happens first? Uh, again, it's like the first diamond is like yeah. going deep on problem discovery, right? Like, so what, like, what's the why here? Like, why do these users yeah. convert better? How'd what do they have problems with? We did a lot of user interviews. Nice. Uh, with the people that had done this? In the yep. Okay. We even walked them. One of the things we like to do, depending on the research, is like walk them back through our experience and t have them talk through things in real time. Like that? Uh, even though they've done it, like yeah, yeah. the reactions are pretty candid uh, and they're good. Um, and so we started to learn like what were the big things that were either users were still hung up with because yeah. these are users that like ultimately hadn't converted. Yeah. Or... Um, like what were their big questions coming into the process? Yeah. And so those were some of the things, and we, we knew there was an opportunity to solve it in our funnel, but yeah. we realized that if, and we've heard this in past rounds of research, that like if these are questions that users get to our site have, there's probably a greater opportunity to solve yeah. these questions up funnel. That makes sense. And so we built a series of tools that in theory could be plugged into our online flow, used on like websites externally, like partner websites yeah. or within our content, because yeah. we get a lot of traffic to our content, um, and use that as a way to get the user to answer their question and drive like meaningful volume. So you, you have these conversations with users, you're asking them, hey, uh, when you went through this experience as you're showing it to them, what were the questions you had or what information were you looking for? You guys have this hypothesis of like, oh, this, like, they just told us. Yeah. Now let's go actually, like, build something to see if they were not lying to us. Because oftentimes that's what we see in user interviews. Where yeah. We'll get somebody on the 
phone, we'll show them wireframes and everything else. It's like, great, 10 out of 10 people chose A over B, but we know this could be different when they're we're talking to the person and we're walking them through it. Yeah. So you guys from there decide, okay, you, you form some hypotheses and then what happens really like with design teams, with getting it out there, yeah. with everything else. So this is pretty. This is a pretty cool process. So our like hypothesis was by providing a user with like an easy way to understand like how much coverage they need. Yeah. It will help us like help them build trust in us, yeah. but also they're more likely to like continue the process with yeah. us. What did, sorry? What did the process look like before this uh, for that user that there was like uh, the gap? Oh, they would probably read a ton of content yep. or use a series of calculators on a bunch of other sites uh-huh. to like get okay. some kind of recommendation. Um, come with that knowledge to yeah. use your site. Okay. And we had an old tool for this, yep. but it was like pretty outdated, um, and it was something that like needed yeah. a major change. Nice. Uh, the thing that I love about how we handled this process is to make sure that users got value out of this, yeah. we actually like faked the entire product. So nice. we asked users ahead of interviews for all the inputs to the calculator yeah, yeah. and then like walked them through step by step like the content we would play back to them as they gave us answers, yeah, which yeah. is like, this is why we asked this, yeah, this yeah. is why it's important yeah. for life insurance. And then we also ultimately give them their recommendation and yeah. we gauge their input. Yeah. So that was like being able to... And where were you testing this? Was it in a vision wireframe or what was the... No wireframe. So we were like plugging their information into like Excel as part of our user interview oh, and cool. like playing back the calculation. And so were they seeing a, like an interface or anything or was it just like... No, it was nothing. It oh. was us like voicing over all the wow. inputs. Yeah. And we got like the old call it, voiceover IP yeah, test. Call it more high fidelity as we went on. Like yeah, we yeah. collected the info ahead of the interview, we plugged it into a prototype, and we like faked their yeah. inputs eventually. But to do it like called true MVP, yeah, I guess, yeah. we we were plugging and playing with an Excel spreadsheet. That's really cool. Um, give me uh, give me an example of uh, one of those interviews. So you contact me and say like, hey, we noticed we saw you use our site. Um, what do you say next? Like, we'll hop on the phone with us, schedule a call, we'll pay you a few bucks? Yeah, so we normally target people that have, like, come into our funnel but yeah. have abandoned for one reason or yep. another. And, yeah, it's more just, like, jump on the phone with us for 30 minutes an hour, uh, ask you a series of questions about your experience shopping for life insurance, yeah. and that's it. And then did uh, those those questions you wanted answers to, did I fill it out beforehand or when I'm on the phone with you? Yeah, as they, when they schedule time with us, uh-huh. we send quiz. them a, a Google form ahead of time and nice. they give us all that Okay, info. so you have the information, I call you, ring, ring, and now you walk me through some probably basic questions. Yeah. And then you get to what? Like, give me some it's examples. It's the same way that you would walk through like a prototype with someone, which is yeah. like, all right, now we're going to, we've been developing like this new tool. We yeah. want to run you through this experience, which is why we ask you yeah, those yeah. questions ahead of time. Um, and then we ask you, like, how old are you? Yeah. And you'd say, like, 30 years old. Be like, great. Uh, we typically recommend for someone who's 30 years uh, old okay. getting a X year term. And this is why. And so, like, now very, they have... Very, cool. Okay. Yeah, full context. It would probably be the content that we play back to them on the screen. Yeah. Um, and we're able to get their reactions. And how, yeah, w- w- what was the definition of a great interview? What was the definition of a poor one? Like, whether or not they said at the end, like, is it a net promoter score of eight? Or, like, if they said, like, I really like this conversation. I mean, the big thing that we're trying to test with this interview is value. Like, do they see value out of it? And how do you mention that? 
That's a good question. <laughs> um, we asked them a series of questions like at the end about yeah. like whether or not they like trust the recommendation, like um, just get a gauge for like any outstanding questions they have. That makes sense. Um, I don't know if it's as sophisticated as... No, it makes, it makes sense. I mean, wrapping that up with saying like, uh, I love this because it really is like a perfect MVP of a conversation making sure people have all their answer, their questions answered. And like, I think it's the confidence level that they have at the end of that call. Yeah. If they feel confident that like, oh, maybe the question is like, uh, how much more information or would you need to gather by yourself to be able to feel confident in making a decision? 100%. And if like, if they can answer like none, I feel confident like to some degree, like yeah. that's the success indicator. Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah, and we also do all of our interviews via Zoom. Yeah. So you can, I mean, feel like you can gauge also the tone in someone's yeah, voice yeah, yeah. Yep, and completely. like their facial reactions yeah. that also are good like that and and this like this is a classic this is why pms exist is to do those qualitative interviews where you can extract stuff where like you're not going to be able to point back to that graph that says <laughs> yeah. like statistical significance here like we we should do this but it's just like we are we have one m- more newer hypothesis that we believe is like either more true or it's like a step in the right direction yeah um Nice. Okay, so you do those interviews. How many did you do? I think we did like five. Nice. Um, yeah. Did five. Um, and now, how far into the project are you? Like, was that in the first week, first three weeks? Uh, so we had done a bunch of like problem discovery research. Yep. We're probably three weeks in. Okay. We typically so we work two week sprints here. Try to stack things where you're doing some sort of like either problem or solution discovery a sprint at a time. So like cool. feeds into each other nicely. Yep. All like standard like dual track yeah, yeah. process. Although it's like kind of three tracks yeah, where yeah. you have problem, solution, and delivery. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're like three weeks in at this point. Nice. Um, and then again, like that morphs into like a prototype. Yeah, what, all right, so let's talk about this. What's the prototype? Uh, we're using Envision. So we're like yep. taking the same inputs that the user gave us in that Google form yeah. and plugging them into a, this is like a design. Yeah, yeah. So we've like done internal like reviews, yep. like sketching, wireframing, um, but this is like a lowish fidelity design. Yeah. That's like a clickable prototype. Cool. And then you hand it to a few users, what happens? Yeah, so on the call, we will send them a link to like UX pin, have yeah. them walk through it with us. Nice. Uh, the beauty of this is like, the downside of like using a prototype is they can't actually put it input information, yeah, but this yeah. is all their information. Yeah, so, so it's like it. super yeah, yeah. valuable. Yeah. Um, and we're I'm, also getting feedback on like the usability of things, right? Yeah, and just, I, I really like that point of using, um, the user's real information because oftentimes like we struggle with it as well like uh, if I interview a user looking or a student looking for student housing off-campus housing I'll interview them and they're like oh I already already leased for next year it's like yeah. okay I want to get something out of this interview but like also now we're gonna be in make-believe land where it's like well imagine that you're still looking for an apartment yeah and there's that small little disconnect so like being able to like really say like either grab somebody when they're in the pain point and still going through it yep. and using their real information because if, if they don't then like this person's looking at it, it's like eh, I guess that yeah. would be valuable but like <laughs> that's great in the, I'm telling you the best story right? yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's great um, okay so you do those how many of those interviews do you do 
Uh, I think we did another five. Nice. You do five. Anything change? Anything? Any feedback? Small like usability improvements, yeah. but like I think we got a lot of the insights, especially on value yep. that we needed to. Like if certain content was confusing, or if like the recommendation we were giving was like not trustworthy for X, Y, or Z reasons. Like yeah. we already solved for those. Yep. Um, this was more about like usability. Yeah. Uh, we think about like in discovery, you're solving for the four risks, like value, feasibility, usability, and viability. Nice. Um, and so like we're including our engineering team in this exercise to make sure that everything is like feasible. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, where exactly did they come in? They've been a part, honestly, of as much of the discovery process as they want to. Yeah. So we invite all of our engineers to even like the problem discovery interviews, yep. n not as great of an attendance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of just like if you have the availability. Yep. Um, but the prototyping, like that prototype before it gets shown to a user is yeah. like shared with our team. Yep. Um, and so they may sit on some of those user interviews, not all, but they're, they're being brought along the entire way. Nice. Is it mostly you and design? For the most part, hand, yeah. Um, but like our, especially the tech lead is yep. like very involved. Yeah, this is this is something we do as well. It's like at the beginning of a project, we'll do like a little kickoff, which is like if you have a problem statement defined, yeah. you will get everybody in the room, engineers, just to see it. Because in my mind, I call it like the solution spectrum. Yep. Like us as PMs and designers, we have a spectrum this big. And now as soon as you bring an engineer in, they may see one other thing that you didn't see that's like, eh, that's actually a great idea. Yeah. Um, and it's, it really is a, like I look at it as like de-risking it, like. The last 100%. thing I want to do is like get to like what I think is eighty percent, and then show it to engineers like, oh, you actually could have done this completely Absolutely. different. And I'm like, oh god. Yeah. So having that upfront conversations and like getting the that solution spectrum early is huge. Hundred percent. I mean, we we do the one of the things I think is so interesting is we do this for delivery or building stuff, but like, why don't we do it for discovery and design? Yeah. Right. So like we try to follow call like the iteration planning yeah, process yeah. the exact same way for solutioning mm -hmm. and discovery. Very cool. Um, okay, so we have the prototype. We test it with uh, five new users. We iterate on some UI UX stuff. We've reviewed with engineers. Um, what happens next? Build it. Build it, okay. Uh, and we try, we hear, we experiment with everything. So like you wanna see what is the actual impact yeah. when you deliver something. Yep. Um, so for us, that was like A-B testing against our old tools yep. um, or against like other things within our own content yeah. that this was potentially going to replace and seeing what does engagement look like, what does click-through rate look like, yep. uh, and what does ultimately conversion look like yeah. as like a barometer for value. And do you guys uh, do you guys have like Optimizely or anything set up? Yeah, is it we use Optimizely is like very embedded. Nice. Uh, that's great to know. Um, okay, so you build it, um, you release it to, uh, or let Optimizely choose who's seeing it, run a B test around this. What are the, you mentioned a few, but what are the core KPIs that you were looking at? That conversion? Yeah, so I was, the big things we were looking at is engagement. So like it's on the page, are people actually like using it? Yeah, and it's not a mandatory thing, it's an optional thing? Yeah, okay. optional. Um, when they use it, are they like making it all the way through? Like, yeah. are there big drop-offs in our f in the flow that we yeah. can 
iterate on? And then once they use it, like, are is that like solving a problem? Like, is it yeah. getting them to the next step? Yeah. Um, so those are the three big things that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, okay, so you roll it out. Uh, what were the results? They were pretty bad to start. <laughs> That's uh, great. <laughs> we were losing a lot of people um, on like the first one or two steps. What were the first two steps? Uh, we were so when we first launched it, we decided to do a couple like introductory screens yeah. of the widget. So I think it's like a this component that can be embedded on a page, and it just has like a bunch of different states you can go through. Yeah. The first two were very educational, right? It was about like value of life insurance, like what you need to keep in mind as you go through Words, this. Yeah. And we found that we were losing a ton of people. Yeah. And um, it seemed all good when you walked users through the prototype yeah, and yeah, when yeah. you were like doing the voiceover and obviously like it's a little different. Um, and so we ended up like cutting some of the screens and we saw engagement and conversion go through the roof. Nice. That is uh, one thing I've learned the hard way, like my current job and past job is like the, usually the marketing fluff, if it's not like a user's job to be done that he's like really trying to execute on and yeah. needs to like input output things for, like they skip over it. And if they're forced to read it, like usually that's even worse. So like yeah. that type of dropout, where we're, we're, we see this on like multiple parts of our product where it's like, we really want a user to understand this value. But if it's not like embedded into like the flow that they need to do or like the yeah. steps that actually like, oh, I give you something and then I get something back, then yeah. like they're gonna breeze through it or worse, they're drop off. Right, exactly. Um, all right, so you rip out those screens, numbers start going up. Yeah, and it was all good. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's all good. There's obviously other challenges with it, but like it, that was a insight. We made like a couple other tweaks based on things that we saw, like steps that we saw users getting hung up on yeah. or we gave some options to like skip steps if they didn't have information. So yeah. if there are ones that were getting a ton of skips, like we decided to get rid of it. Yeah, um, yeah there's a bunch of changes we made. Uh, two questions. One, where are you doing all your tracking and analytics? Uh, so we use Tableau for everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of it is like manual data analysis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so run our own ad hoc queries yeah um, but a lot of the like actual reporting is done in Tableau and do you have uh, is there a product analytics tool put on there like uh, how do you measure click rates of something any idea we track every, so we use segment for everything nice okay That's and cool. so we track all user interactions. Yep. Yeah, segment sends directly to Tableau. Nice. Yep. Um, that's that's huge as well. This is uh, I'm working at like the second company now, but like having a full data team that can basically organize everything, clean everything, and like actually give you queryable data. Yeah. Like is an organized table, so you're not joining 19 things is a godsend. Oh yeah. I mean our, I I give a ton of credit to our engineering team yeah. for, and obviously we all know there are things that we can clean up, but like yeah. the way our data structured is like very usable yeah that's and our phenomenal. data engineering team has done a great job of even like cleaning that up yeah so that in tableau it's even more usable for me love that um okay so um that's where you're measuring it um and then what about uh either reporting to executives anything else how do you either come back to your higher ups and say hey this is the project we did these are the results from it yeah we have a series of like 
things along the way that we do yeah either like through meetings or through like async communication yep. that we do uh-huh. uh, with any feature launch like we typically share that broadly so like with the entire company so like yeah. this is going out it's good to inform like our sales and operations team in case they hear anything yeah but also just so that even everyone across the product org is aware of things that are going on yeah and uh, what we end up doing once that concludes is like recapping any experiments. So like, what did we decide to do? Like yeah. kill, iterate, scale. What was the impact? Why did we do what we did? I like that kill, iterate, scale. Um, but there is like uh, a dashboard that literally anyone can look at yep. uh, and monitor like the key metrics of the experiment over time. Nice. How do you guys judge... Um, whether or not an experiment or project is something that you need to have like kind of a press release for and tell everybody about and what are just like, eh, we're testing this, it's gonna be small over here, we don't need to warn everybody about it. If it's very small and like you can make a judgment that it's like not gonna impact any of the other teams, historically like it doesn't necessarily need like a product update, but I think we're just under the cadence now is like oversharing can sometimes just be yeah, better, yeah. right? Like, cause if you're gonna learn, any, if anything's gonna come up, it's better for someone to know. And if you're gonna learn something from that, yeah. like it's gonna be worth sharing. Yeah. Um, so big or small, it's normally worth it. Nice, it makes a lot of sense. Um, great, well, that was amazing. I really, really appreciated the, the deep dive, especially <laughs> the MVP test, cause I love the, the voice over IP thing. Um, all right. Um, we covered all the product stacks. So do you have any questions um, that you would want to ask other PMs? So if, uh, again, you could basically say, hey, Quinn, go interview XYZ PMs at any company and ask them these things. What are the things that you're curious about? That's a good question. I'm always interested in like the dynamic that a product manager has at other companies with like the other, call them stakeholders, right? Yeah. Like whether it's your... We call them like the core four within your team, which yeah. is like marketing, design, engineering, and anything you've just like learned from that that makes you like effective, but yeah. also externally, right? Like yep. how you've learned to be work really well with your like sales and operations team or just like leadership across the board. Yeah. I'm like a call it like a process nerd. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so anything that I can cherry pick off of or learn from other people that have done it. Yeah. I'm all ears. Nice. Great to know. Um, uh, favorite product content out there. So I mentioned Lenny Rachitsky. Yeah. He has like a, now a newsletter he's been doing for a bunch of months now. I cool. follow that. Uh, Teresa Torres from product talk. Yeah. Her content's really good. Uh, I'm a member of like Product Manager HQ, which does like a general newsletter. I like yeah. these newsletters that send me like content. Yep. I find that for whatever reason, when I get them, they always seem to be super relevant. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's great. Uh, and then I've read some other books like um, Nurayal's, like Hooked and yep. Indistractable. Marty Kagan's Inspired. Like some of those are are really good resources. Nice. Um, all right. Last question. Um, one lesson you would give early PMs or your younger self uh, from all of the experience you've had? Uh, one of the things that I feel like I talk to a lot of other people about is like how like I got into product or how they can get into product, yeah. uh, thinking that it, there's like some silver bullet or some like book you need to read. Yeah. 
And my advice is just like, do it, right? Like there, there is some skill or something you've done in your career that is, could make you a very valuable product manager. Yep. Figure out what that is and just like do it. Do it for a new company or do it for like the company you currently work for? Either. Whatever yeah. makes the opportunity, like, I mean, it depends on what's like kind of like the easiest path for yeah. you, but uh, I don't know. I don't think it really matters. That was my transition was like founder to like, hey, like, I know I want to sit in between executives, engineers, and users, <laughs> but like, and everyone's like, no, 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 you have no product experience. Like, you're not, you can't be a PM. And I was like, like, how do I do this? How do I, how do I get to that next thing? And I literally had to like, basically just like do a few like consulting gigs as like a fake product manager or like just naming, like I'm a product manager. And then like literally within five months, people were like, you're a product manager. I was like, okay. Yeah. I think if I've like, even here, we've, we've brought in a lot of folks that have like a lot of product skills yeah. or bring like a lot of great things to the table as product managers, yep. but there's so much that you just like, you learn on the job. Oh right like can I teach you how to work with like engineering and design I don't know you could read books yeah, but like yeah, ultimately yeah. you're going to learn from doing it a lot faster it's it's so true we have a we have a junior PM on our team right now and like I see I have these interactions with him where it's like I can tell you what to do but it might be better for you to go learn this the hard way like yeah. I might let you just like scope creep the hell out of your project just so you realize like oh this is this is what I can't yeah, do next time exactly that's kind of why I think we have we do retrospectives every yeah. two weeks. It's like my actually my favorite meeting. Really? Yeah. It's just like I mean, it's a like a props to like the people here because yeah. like you gotta have uh, not take anything personally and like adopt the mindset of like we did what we did given the information we had at the yep. time yeah, and like yeah, try yeah. and do the best we yep. could. Uh, and people here just like want to make things better. Yeah. But like that's where you like talk about those failures yeah. and issues and you just like correct them. Completely. Um, all right. Well, Scott, that was great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs>